This episode of FileMaker Talk is sponsored by FileMakerCloudServers.com, offering dedicated FileMaker cloud servers for clients worldwide starting at $119.95 per month. Learn more at FileMakerCloudServers.com. day one of DevCon, and I'm here in the trade show area, and I've got Jesse Barnum, president of 360 Works. Welcome. Hey, Matt. I'm having a really good time. I'm a little tired. It's been a lot of conversations. My knees are ready to pop, but I'm doing good and having a good time. The standing hurts your knees? Is that what it is? Yeah. My, you know, I've, I'm a little jealous of Sam because uh, my brother, because he works at a standing desk, so this is like a breeze for him, but I'm, I, I, I tend to, I like to recline when I work, so... <laughs> I, I would be jealous of him because his chin is so much more pronounced than yours. And his abs are, like, chiseled. It's, I'm sharing a room with him, so when I wake up in the morning and I see him getting out of bed, I'm like, Sam, you're making me feel really bad here. Well, he is younger than you. And I, guess he, I guess he works out a lot, huh? He does. He does, and he doesn't eat. I think he eats, like, every other day. Mm. And, uh, like, literally. I, think, I don't know if he's still doing that, but for a while he was eating every other day. That's, that's not in my makeup. It's so cool that you get to work with your brother. I get to see my brother this week because he lives in L.A. and he's going to come down. I get to see my parents and my niece. So the family thing is good. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about what's new with 360 Works in the last year. So a lot has, uh, has been going on in 360 Works. We've, got, um, some, we've ramped up our tech support department. We've gone from one person to two people now. So tech support is continuing to improve. Uh, That's a hundred percent improvement. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a big deal, and I've it's been really nice at the booth. I have had a lot of people walk up to the booth and give me compliments on how good the tech support has been. So that makes me feel really good. I need to tell the guys at home because they're not here at the show. They're they're busy. Phones are ringing. Um, the other thing that's been uh, we have had two major product releases this year. Um, one is Plastic Two. That's Sterling's product. Uh, it's a credit card processing plugin. It's a version two update. We've been talking about it since literally like last DevCon. We were saying we were on the cusp of releasing it. We finally got it out the door. It turned out to be a lot more work, not so much on the programming part as much as the documentation side. Uh, we support 12 gateways now, and they all work a little bit differently. So we worked very hard to make those 12 gateways um, kind of look and feel as if you're just dealing with one common interface and then you can easily swap one out for the other so that's been a lot of work getting that out but uh, plastic 2 has got support for um, uh, profile based payments so that you don't need to store credit card numbers in your filemaker database at all anymore which is a big deal uh, yeah there's a lot of new requirements coming out for like to be really secure what's that agency that requires that it's the, the pci compliance yeah, pci thing. compliance right so yeah like not storing the number at all is pretty cool so you actually store like a hash to the credit card number so that you can so you can confirm it actually is right but the actual credit card number is stored only on the gateway that's right you store the credit card number on the gateway using the plastic plugin you get a number back from that gateway which is a unique identifier mm-hmm. whenever you want to run that credit card charge you just pass in that unique gateway if some or that unique token if somebody were able to get into your database and hack it and steal it they would get a bunch of useless credit card um, tokens that can't actually be turned into credit card numbers uh, so it does not automatically make you PCI compliant. That's a misconception that a lot of people have. PCI right. compliance is an entire business review process, mm-hmm. but it makes it dramatically easier to, to get that PCI certification because you can say we have no credit card numbers stored. And so it, it, it 
tremendously lowers the barrier to getting that certification if you're accepting credit cards. Yeah, sure. There's a whole bunch of other things you have to do. Not store the CVN codes, not store, you know, a lot of other things. But yeah, um, and and make sure your security is good. It's like a HIPAA compliance type of thing, really. I think so. I'm not an expert on HIPAA. Um, Other people know a lot more about that than I do. But I do know that if you are storing credit card numbers, it's a very high barrier to get over. There's all sorts of firewall, antivirus... Uh, process procedures in place that only kick in if you're storing credit card numbers. So if you are storing credit card numbers, um, it's I highly recommend that you look into Plastic 2 to get those out of your database so that you don't need to worry about that liability. I mean, I'm sure there's like a script to say, okay, we've got these 10,000 credit card numbers for these customers. Run this script to stick them up there, kind of like what you have for a super container to take all the images from a container field and put them into super container. Yeah, you can just loop through all your records, transfer those credit card numbers up, replace them with that transaction number, and then you can just even delete the fields out of the database so that there's no yeah. longer any field in there for a credit card number. Uh, bottom line is if you have a field in any table with the name credit card number, you're probably doing something wrong. Uh, so look at Plastic 2 for a solution there. There's other things that are new in Plastic 2. We now support... Plastic 1 had two payment gateways. Plastic 2 has 12. A lot of those are international payment payment gateways. So if you're in Canada or UK or uh, Australia, uh, there's a few in South America. We've added uh, all of these payment gateways so that we've really, really expanded the, the global reach of who could potentially benefit from Plastic 2. Um, we have support for ACH check uh, clearing stuff so that you know if you're not using a credit card but you want to do an e-check kind of thing, you can do that. There's support for recurring uh, sub- subscription fil- billing. So if somebody signs up for a subscription website that you have, um, you can set it up to just automatically run their credit card number every so often. And again, you're not storing the credit card number. You're just storing an ID number that links to a subscription fee that you can cancel or refund or void at any time. Cool. So Plastic 2, pretty exciting. What else is new? Uh, the other big thing, which is my project, is MirrorSync 2. It's, it's been... Um, so it's been a tremendous amount of work. I really started working on it seriously at the beginning of July. Um, and it's pretty much been nonstop since July. Less and less sleep as DevCon gets closer and closer. Um, was still kind of ripping up how container fields worked when on the flight to DevCon. Landed here. Did get it working and demoable in time to, to, <laughs> to show people after the keynote was finished. So that was... Uh, Monday was a very stressful day for me. There were a lot of things not working, and the keynote was ticking up, and I had to finish them. But got them done, and it's been the reception at the booth has been fantastic. We've had a constant crowd of people around the booth. A lot of people are coming up, and rather than coming up to saying what's MirrorSync or what's 360 Works doing, people are coming up saying, "I heard about MirrorSync. Can you show it to me?" So that's really fun for me. You know, when people are already interested, and then um, so the things that are new in MirrorSync too, which by the way, we're hoping to ship sometime in 2013. Um, so this is the first time I've said it on record. Oh, yeah. So now I, I, I better get it done. Um, but the, there's a lot of new features in MirrorSync 2. Like everything that anybody has asked us for, I'm just going crazy on. I'm just like... Kitchen sink, huh? It, it really is a kitchen sink upgrade. I mean, if you've ever called me and asked me for something in MirrorSync, it's probably there. The big, big, big ones are um, we now support... So in MirrorSync 1, uh, we supported syncing from either FileMaker Pro or FileMaker Go to FileMaker Server. Mm -hmm. With the assumption that you were using the identical file, a copy of your server file, on that portable device. Right, which turns out to not be such a popular design choice. Well, it's, you know, it, it fits certain use cases very well. 
I've talked to a lot of people here at the show who they want to take a copy of their file with them, like into a hospital, for instance, where they have firewalls and network restrictions. They still want their full solution to them on their laptops. Sure. And so it works really well for them. For that, it's clearly great. Yeah. Um, it has been, um, I, I think that a lot of people are put off by the idea of taking a, you know, a 10-year project with 100 tables and putting that on an iPad. Yeah. Frankly, I think the iPad will handle it. You know, I mean, you've, you've got space on the iPad. You've got many gigabytes of space. The FileMaker databases, for the most part, are not that big. So I think, you know, it really does work, actually, to just build iPad-friendly layouts on that database and put it on there. But we've kind of heard that feedback from a lot of people. And so in MirrorSync 2, we've now added the ability to have a completely separate mobile, mobile database from your main database. It can have different layouts, different fields, different tables. The names don't have to match. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, in my demo here, I'm using the FM Starting Point database from Richard Carlton Consulting. I then take the contact starter solution that comes from FileMaker, two solutions that have nothing to do with each other, mm -hmm. and I set them up to sync to each other so that all the contacts from the starting point database sync with the contacts database in the uh, solution from FileMaker. Wow. And uh, the process of matching them up is exactly like the process of matching up on an important FileMaker. So you know how you get your left and right sides and you drag them up yeah. and down? That's all you need to do to that's match not, it. That's not such a good thing, because I hate that import dialog box. <laughs> we do our best to match up by name. Uh, sure. So if your names are the same, you can skip that entire thing. We I, do I want to be able to move fields by group. You know, I want to say, here's my address fields. I need to move this whole block down one space. Nope, can't do it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the, um, you need to sub submit a feature request there. To FileMaker? <laughs> to me. <laughs> or, or FileMaker. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, big ticket item number one. Big ticket item number two is we've now added server-to-server -server support with MirrorSync 2. So, yeah, it's, it's a big item. It will now sync between FileMaker server to FileMaker server, FileMaker server to MySQL, Oracle, SQL Server, um, any database that supports JDBC. So it could be, you know, Postgres or Hypersonic wow. or whatever you want. Um, so we're, we're even talk to me about the FileMaker to server to server sync. Is that, could that be something like a replication of a server running all the time, or what's the, what's the idea behind it? Yeah, so you've got, so you've got an office like, like we do, for instance. We have one office in Atlanta. We have one office in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, a sales database that we are building in Atlanta, and we have not actually migrated this yet to MirrorSync 2, um, because, mainly because I haven't finished it, and you know, it, um, it's not quite ready yet, but... The idea is that we will be able to have that same database running on a server in San Francisco and a server in Atlanta. We'll keep them up to date with each other. We'll probably replicate every 30 seconds or so. Um, it's extremely fast and efficient. If we sync with no changes, um, what I'm seeing right now on my benchmarks syncing FileMaker server to MySQL, it's taking about 80 to 100 milliseconds to sync. So when you see those kinds of sync speeds, it's very practical just to set it to sync all the time, like every second, every yeah. 10 seconds, every 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. The more often you set it to sync, the less likely you are to have any sort of conflicts. Well, I mean, the ping time from Atlanta to San Francisco is probably 30 milliseconds. So if a sync is 80 milliseconds, <laughs> I mean, that's... Yeah. Now, I mean, I, okay, so full disclosure, when I'm giving those times, I'm testing this on a local network. Um, so, you know, that's adding up on about two, two milliseconds of latency. Right. But one very important thing to keep in mind with MirrorSync is that we make very, very few requests in MirrorSync when there are no changes. I think it's a total of, I think we actually make a total of, we make one request to FileMaker server, we make one request to MySQL, and based on that, 
we gather all of the modification timestamps, the record counts, all that kind of stuff. So we're very unaffected by latency. You know, latency, you know, it's un latency is unavoidable, but we minimize it by not making a whole bunch of small requests. We make just one or two large requests. So um, very, very efficient to run it very frequently. And then if there is a change, the sync might take a little bit longer, but still, you know, a second, two seconds or something like that. So that's our plan is to set up this very frequent sync uh, process, minimize the conflicts. Um, and then speaking of conflicts, that's big ticket item number three, is that we now have the ability to uh, resolve conflicts on a field basis. So previously in MirrorSync, if you changed a record, exactly. You changed a record on Go, you changed the record on server, you do your sync. In previous version of MirrorSync, you had to either pick the entire Go record or the entire server record, which was a whole lot better than nothing. And the fact that it even detects the conflicts is not, you know, that detects them and displays them and gives you a, a, a choice to do them, yeah. an interface to do that, that's a really nice feature, and that's mm -hmm. not something to take for granted. But we've gone beyond that in version 2, and we've now made it so that you're able to pick on a field-by-field -field basis exactly which fields to take from which things. And you can edit the values, too. So, for instance, if you've modified a notes field on one database and you modify the notes field on the other database, you don't just have to pick left or right you can click the edit button and you can type in your own values to take the changes from one and combine them with the other okay. and save them so you're never having to make a choice about which data to lose. Um, so those are kind of the three big ticket items in MirrorSync. On maybe like one step down from those, much, much faster sync performance, especially when writing to FileMaker Server. Hmm. Um, and I haven't tested this yet, but I have a feeling that, um, as you know, we run on both FileMaker Server 12 as well as 11. We've always seen a big performance gap between those. 12 is much faster than 11. I think the changes that I'm working on now are going to really be especially noticeable in 11, and it'll bring it up closer to the speed of 12. Um, so big performance improvements. We're now multi-threaded, so you can sync as many you know, multiple devices as you want, um, and uh, we'll take full advantage of however many hardware cores you have in the machine that's running MirrorSync. So a lot of under-the-hood under improvements in addition to kind of the big-ticket items. Nice, and still super simple to install on a server like before. And I think you said even less steps for integration and, and configuration? Yes, we're working on... Um, I, I, I'm going to mention one thing that may or may not make it in the final cut, but I'm really trying hard to... to if I can get it in this year, I will. Which is, uh, if you've used MirrorSync 1, um, and if you're using... Um, so, I don't want to get too off track, but we support serial numbers, just traditional primary keys, as well as UUIDs. If you picked primary keys, serial numbers in MirrorSync, then you need to tell us what the foreign keys are so that we can make sure that the relationships don't break when we get synced to the other sure. device. One of the th and that was actually the most time-consuming part of setting up a large, complex system in MirrorSync was setting up all those foreign keys. Right. I'm working on a system right now that will actually read the relationship graph and read all the primary and foreign keys to completely skip that step. So that would cut out a major time component of the setup process. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're really trying to get to the point where if you know what you are doing in MirrorSync, you can set up a complex solution in 10 or 15 minutes. And if you're having to go through and read the documentation and do it slower, I still feel like it's a less than an hour kind of process for even fairly large complex systems. Wow. So would, would you, when it comes to UUIDs, it seems to me like if you have a system that's distributed where you've got, um, let's say, 10 people with a notebook copy of a database and maybe some 10 iPads with it, and then like a central system on the network where there's 20 people in the office who use it, I would think you'd be sort of crazy to not use UUIDs in every table for a solution like that as the actual primary key. Is that, uh, and I feel comfortable making a statement like that. Is that how did you feel about something like that? 
Um, I mean, from so there's advantages and disadvantages of UUIDs. Uh, from a mirror sync standpoint, it really treats them the same. There's no real performance benefit one way or the other. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a minor performance uh, improvement actually of using serial numbers. Yeah, because they're smaller. They're smaller, and when we're transferring stuff over the network, you know, you're transferring three or four characters instead of 40 characters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so actually for small records with few fields, it's a fairly pronounced difference. So there is actually um, a a performance benefit of just using regular serial numbers. It takes almost zero time for MirrorSync to translate the serial numbers between devices, so there's no time savings there. I think um, where you do get a benefit from UUIDs is if you ever needed to merge data without using MirrorSync. You know, if you were in uh, some disaster recovery type of situation where your records got messed up or whatever, using serial numbers is great, um, assuming that you're using Merisync. But if you're using UIDs, you can manually get those things back together. Yeah, well, like I'm, I think about the situation of like you, you've got um, a notebook copy of a database that makes invoice 1001, and then someone on the networked copy makes an invoice using invoice number 1001. The, when it gets synced, that, in, that new invoice number that the notebook person made is going to get a new number because it's going to get created in the master table. Mm-hmm. It's going to get number 1234. Mm-hmm. But it's still going to remember, and you've got an internal table that tracks those different IDs to say, oh, yeah, yeah, user A has this serial number, has you know, invoice number 1001, user B has 1234 for that same exact record. We keep that table here. I still think that you're kind of crazy to do that if you're a developer. I think you'd really want to you know, use a different field as the key. First of all, I completely agree with you. Any field that is visible to a user, whether it's even changeable or not, in my opinion, any user-visible field should not be used as a primary key. I think a primary key should be an internal, invisible thing that is only there for relating records. Anytime that a user can see something, that means that they attach meaning to it. And if they attach meaning to it, then at some point, it's going to be important for them to be able to change it. You don't want your use to be able to change your primary keys. So I would just say have two fields. You know, have an internal serial, even if it's just two serial numbers. You know, have one that's your primary key and the other is that a, a, a number that the user sees. And if the user wants to change that other field, he's not breaking relationships by doing that. So I completely agree with you that, you know, whether it's a purchase order number or an invoice number or a customer reference number or, you know, a product code, anything like that, those should be separate fields. They should not be used as primary keys, in my opinion. Uh, but I don't know if that if that supports your statement that you should only use UUIDs because if you have this separate field for this purpose, the value that goes in your primary key, whether it's an increasing incrementing number or whether it's a 40-character long text yeah. numeric thing, well, that's not that important. Well, you certainly cannot show a UUID as the customer's invoice number because, right. you know, you want a number that the customer can write on the check. Right. And so, yeah, I agree with you having a – you're kind of a little bit stepped differently than me. I think that I hate having multiple key fields where there's two things that look like primary keys in a table. I agree with you that you have to have the relationship be based on the one that's in, immutable and unchangeable. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe you, you could probably convince me to come to your position much more than easily than I could convince you to come to mine. And I think that, you know, uh, so, for instance, a little used feature in FileMaker, when you create a serial number field, you've got that option of uh, assign on creation or assign on commit. Right. To me, this is one of the few cases where a sign-on commit makes sense, is I would never use a sign-on commit for a key value because you can't create relationships to that record until you've committed it. So I think a primary key always needs to be assigned on creation. 
But then you run into cases where you want to continue a stream of purchase order numbers or check numbers, and you don't want gaps in that numbering sequence. That's a case where you want to set that to a sign on commit instead of on creation. Well, you can't have it both ways in a single field. So again, I think that argues for having a separate number that gets assigned on commit mm-hmm. that is just on a create. user visit. Um, oh, okay, well, two, two fields. One assigned on create for your primary key. Right. And one assigned on commit for your user visible value that gets incremented and can, you know, if you revert that record, if you create it and revert it, it doesn't burn a number in your sequence. Exactly. I like that. And I hate that when customers insist on like burning a number in the sequence and like being able to go back, I'm like, yeah, no, we're not having this conversation. I'm, I'm leaving. (laughs) Well, and the nice thing is if it's not a primary key, you can just go into the field definitions and roll back a number. You know, and you're not breaking any relationships. As long as you know that you're not going to create duplicates, it's perfectly safe to do that. Whereas if you're using that number for double duty as a primary key, you don't know what kind of problems you're going to create by just changing that, that next serial number. Um, so going back to MirrorSync and how this relates to MirrorSync, mm-hmm. that's another kind of tier two feature that I didn't mention is that we're working on post-editing or, or like your own customizable hooks. So that, for instance, when you sync a record to a server, you could assign a key or a check number or purchase order number or something at that point. Mm-hmm. Without that, there's no logical way to get, you know, how do you create an invoice number if you're in the field and you have no network access to the server? If it's got to be a sequential number, you can't logically do that. It's not a technology problem. Right. You know, what do you, pick? I guess you could pick up the phone and call the guys and say, hey, I'm going to do invoice one, two, three, four. Don't, don't do that one. Yeah. Um, you know. But uh, or, or, or hand everyone post-it notes with their available... I've seen that before, too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Where you have, like, a post-it note with all your available primary keys, and you use those and mark them off as you go. I've seen those in, in places you, they should not be in. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, that's... Uh, I'm, I'm working hard to get that into MirrorSync, too, so that when you sync it, you could assign the number at the point of synchronization, which, again, is a reason to separate your primary key from a user-visible number because you need your primary key when you're creating records in order to establish relationships. But you may not need that check number or that purchase order number right at that moment in time. It might be able to wait until you do your sync. Very cool stuff. Any other stuff you want to talk about? Uh, I'm looking forward to the zoo trip. Uh, Me too. That's going to be really neat. I love the I love the the zoo here, and it's just a such it's a beautiful huge park. It's a wonderful place to walk around. Came here last time with my camera, and I got some gorgeous close ups of some flowers and stuff. Um, so, and this is really I mean, as far as venues for DevCon goes, I love this place here in San Diego. Uh, the exhibitor area is just this giant open area. There's no blocks and visibility. You know, everyone can see all the booths clearly. You know, nobody's stuck behind a column or has a, you know, you're not hitting your head on a, on, uh, you probably can't. I, I do remember that in one of the other places. Right? It was really low, yeah. Yeah, that other place in San Diego, I'm guessing you had to duck in a few spots. You know, I have to say, well, I'm 6'6", for those of you who didn't know that on the podcast. The hallways and the floors on the hotel have these, like, lights that hang down, the chandeliers or whatever. And they're about two inches above my head. <laughs> but when I walk down the hallway, apparently I feel really unsafe walking if i was like running i totally would hit them but like a normal walking place i know that i'm not going to hit it but i still like wince and like move out of the way i'm sure that's something you've just developed over a lifetime of being freakishly tall well i think if you were walking down a hallway and there was something two inches above your head you'd have the exact same reaction but yeah i I see it more often perhaps (laughs) i probably don't have that natural uh tendency to worry about it as much as you do 
I'll give you that. So, yeah, this is going to be great. So tonight's the FBA dinner. This is uh, day one, as we said earlier. And then the, is that tomorrow, the zoo thing? I have no idea. I never can keep track of any <laughs> any events by the time that the, I'm just focused on the booth and making sure my, my slides go or my demos go smoothly. And so I'm kind of in a haze when it comes to anything outside the exhibitor room. Sure. How many people from your team did you bring? We've got seven people here this year. This is a record. Um, we, we've had six a few years previously in Orlando. Um, this year we had Sarah, who's our marketing person. She's a first-timer coming to DevCon, um, and which was great because she's the one that did all of our collateral material for the booth. So I would have felt really crappy if I had asked her to do all the collateral material and then not invited her to come and, and see it all. So she's been having a good time and really helping out, explaining stuff at the booth. Um, and uh, so, yeah, seven people this year. I'm really, uh, you know, I love when it's on the East Coast because we're in Atlanta, so we can all just pile in the van and drive down. Um, maybe someday, who knows, maybe they'll have it in Atlanta, which has got wonderful convention centers. Uh, really, really, it's, it's not San Diego weather, I'll give you that. This weather here cannot be beat. Um, but there are some really nice places that we could have DevCon if we wanted to in Atlanta, and we would love to, like, really put on a big presence in if, if there was ever an Atlanta DevCon. I would still vote for Vegas. I want one there. I've, you know, it's funny. I have never been to Vegas. I've been through the airport. Yeah. I've never gone into. A, I've never been outside the airport in Vegas. I need to go. Yeah, it's just pretty cool. I grew up in Southern California, so everybody from here just drives there all the time. Yeah, it's like Orlando for us. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, but yeah, I've. I don't gamble. I don't drink. So, like on the one hand, I'm like, do I really want to go to Vegas? But everybody says yes. You need to go. So you do because there's shows. And actually, the, um, there's the stores, the shows, just the splendor of the places. The hotel rooms are amazing. The food is amazing. There's tons of other things you can do there if you don't drink or gamble. I'm sold. I, I would like to go. I, I, if there's a DevCon in Vegas, I will come a few days earlier. No, I will not come a few days early. I'll stay a few days late because I'm a yeah. ball of stress prior to DevCon. It's not until... Not until we break down the booth that I kind of just take a nice deep breath and relax. Exactly. Yeah. I, can, I mean, I'm doing two sessions. I did one today and I've got one Thursday. And yeah, there's definitely a significant part of my brain that's calculating and, and you know, processing exactly what I'm going to do in my session. And I won't really be able to relax until that's done Thursday at 1030 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I was a speaker in 2009 and 2010, I believe, were the years. Um, and there's a... DevCon is a completely different experience prior to your speaking session and after your speaking session. When your session is over, you're just walking on air as you go through the rooms. Nothing can hurt you. It's like you're just like, it's the best feeling in the world. But prior to the sessions, I remember, you know, missing every social event uh, at DevCon, sitting in my room in front of my mirror, just practicing my session over and over again. I've spoke around, I don't know, eight times, ten times, something like that. And I've had some years where I really prepared extremely well, and I got here, and everything was done, and I was completely confident. Um, and then I've had other years where I really didn't prepare properly, and I spent a lot of that time, just like you mentioned, just stressing about it. Um, and having done it a lot of times, I'm kind of better at it. But, you know, still, there's still to some degree you're really thinking about it, and your brain's really working on it, kind of no matter, no matter what, you know. I have no idea what it feels like to be completely prepared and confident for a speaking session. I, I'm <laughs> well, actually, you know, I've done a lot of the user group uh, presentations, mm -hmm. and yeah. there's something very different about that kind of small, intimate environment that's very relaxing. Yeah, 20, 30 people, something like that, very different than 200. Yeah, you know, and, and, if, a dev, and if a demo goes wrong, I'll be like, hey, guys, you know, let me just take a quick look at the source code here, and we'll figure out what went wrong, and we'll fix it. It doesn't, doesn't feel right to do that, you know, on a stage where people are paying a lot of money to be here you want things to be perfect so yeah yeah like the opening session was so rehearsed and staged and clean 
I will say I was quite impressed. Uh, I know we can't talk too much about the content in the keynote, but I will say that I found it quite impressive. Uh, and especially some of the changes in the design stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was very inspiring to me. I am not a graphic designer, and those who know me know that I tend to like make fun of myself when it comes to anything having to do with visual and aesthetic uh, stuff. But um, seeing the seeing some of the neat design stuff that they're doing was definitely an inspiration, even for me, kind of a little, somewhat of a curmudgeon when it comes to aesthetics. To say, wow, I can really see how a customer would really uh, appreciate a look and feel like the stuff they're showing us. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I agree. I think maybe what the biggest trend we're seeing is in FileMaker is moving more towards design and making things look beautiful and, and, how, and how design is not just being pretty, but actually it's, it's function. And it's and extremely important. And you're smart, even though you personally have really focused on the back end stuff and making your stuff work awesome. You have staff that are really good at design, and you've got really good standards to make your stuff beautiful, even though it's not your personal strong suit, yes? Yeah, I mean, you take a look at stump, I'm like Michael Gaslowitz at our company, you look at Document that he developed, it's gorgeous. Um, and it really shows, and we get very, very nice feedback from our customers on the simple look and feel, and it's very clean, and it's easy to use, and it's well thought out. And the best part about Document is that search thing is amazing. That search thing is quite awesome. I, I don't know exactly who came up with that genius idea, Matt. But uh, That was an inside joke there. that They used FM search results in DocuBin. I apologize for that. It was horrible. <laughs> it works great. People love it. Uh, it was not hard to implement, and it really is it's ne- it's not something we could have ever done on, on our own. Cool. Well, uh, thanks very much for your time today, Jesse. Thank you, Matt. I'm having a great time. I'm looking forward to the rest of the show. 